Welcome to the CEO Tip of the Day podcast. I'm Robert Hunt with Renaissance Executive Forums, and I lead groups of business owners and CEOs here in DFW. I meet with these amazing leaders each month to help them be the best version of themselves. These podcasts share powerful insights like those we hear during our monthly CEO group meetings, and they share insights into my amazing clients. Today, my guest is Jim Monk, the CEO of Closets. Closets is a fairly new company and is leading the manufacture and installation of the closet systems in the multifamily industry. Closets, by the way, is spelled C-L-O-Z-Z-I-T-S dot com for those of you who want to look them up and you should. Jim and his team are showing the apartment industry how to increase rents, reduce turnover, improve cash flow, and uh, their unique installation systems are very cool and, and they're quite beautiful, actually. Hey, welcome to our show, Jim. Thanks for having me, Robert. I'm excited to be here. That was a nice intro, wasn't it? It was. I wrote that all up by myself. Thank you. What I should add to that intro is I've known you like 10 years. Can you believe yeah, that? It has flown by. Yeah, it has flown by. And it might be only nine and three quarters, but I'm going to say 10 <laughs> years. And when I met you, you were the owner of a different company. Yeah. And I was doing a different career. I was still doing marketing consulting. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And a lot of miles have transpired since then. A lot of things in life. But um, I'm glad that we're friends. Oh, absolutely. Likewise. That's probably the best thing that came out of that yeah. particular situation. Yeah. yeah. No, that's one of the good things came out of it, but that was probably and We one used of the to best. go to the American Marketing Association happy hours that's and meet right. people. Those were some fun times. They were. I miss that. Very uh, eclectic group. Very eclectic group. Yeah. But uh, very talented, too. So Jim has two children, Mary and Chamberlain. Correct. And uh, what are they up to these days? I know Mary's driving a car. She is. And she's stressing out. You know, she's a... Uh, it's scary. Uh, it's a, she, well, besides that, she's just a, a stressed out teenager. You know, if you look at the way the world is today, they have so much on their shoulders, Robert. They do. Compared to what and you and I had. They said the Z, she's part of the Z generation. She is. Anticipates another catastrophe. There was a study I just read the other day, and it said the Z, Z generation thinks that things are only going to get worse. And I asked James, what do you think about the future? He goes, oh, it's going to get worse. Oh, wow. That's really wow. true. So, I mean, with that lack of optimism, what are they going right? to do? Right. And it is hard to um, roll with them. Yeah. Because, look, we lived through 911. Yeah, we did. The dot-com bus. Remember Y2K and yeah, all the elevators are going to yep. drop to the floor and the bank failures and, um, and now COVID. And we're still 100% success. We're still alive. Yeah. So it's awfully hard to look at them and go, you're such a child. You have no idea. This is this is all going to be fine. Right. And all that does is furiate them if we just dis, uh, disapprove it or, or water it down like it doesn't count. Right. Well, and the world is so complicated, but, but also just highly competitive today. Mm. You know, I look at what it took to get into college. I probably they, they probably would have closed the door on me. That's a good point. You got to have a four point eight something to get it on, even on the yeah, list. Exactly right. And you know, it used to be they'd look at your junior senior year. Now they're looking at your freshman sophomore years. Really, and so they're taking and social back. your community service. Correct. And, you had to be well balanced. That's, yeah. what, that's what Mary keeps telling me. You had to be a well balanced student, not just like an athlete or just really great at grades. You had to be well balanced. So it just adds a lot of stress and yep. and in the world and uh, and then Chamberlain. Well, you know, he's a typical 11-year-old. You know, it's all about Fortnite, and uh, it's playing? all about playing video games. Do you ever play with him? Can you ever do any of those? I'm too slow. I he can't. says my reaction time is too slow. <laughs> there's too many buttons. We used to play Wii, yeah. and I could do Wii. It was A and B and a little button on the yeah, bottom. Yeah. Now and there's like, like eight, and you got to do them in combinations to yeah, do things. I can't exactly do that. Exactly right. True. All right, so um, you joined our CEO groups back in 2017, yeah. and you were with another company. Yes. And we got to watch you walk through that journey, and then you left that company, and then you had, because you're in the groups, you met Steven, mm -hmm. and that's what brought up this opportunity for the closets opportunity. How are things going at closets? Tell me what the world of closets looks like. You know, it was really, you know, if I take a look at two and a half years ago when we originally started, you know, we when we went to hire our first sales rep, it was a week before COVID hit. Wow. Think I about didn't that. know As that. As a salesperson coming in oh, man. a week later, finding out everything's shutting down. There's no one to talk to. There's no one to talk to. And as a, as a startup, you're looking at this and going, oh, gosh, it's over with. Mm. You know, because a lot of our clients at the time were going, we don't know what's causing this. We don't want people coming in. We don't want to expose our residents. Yeah. Very serious right. deal. That's right. We don't want it. And we were looking at, we don't want to expose our installers as well. What are our protocols? That's right. And our product coming in from our factories and disinfecting it. Because how long does this stuff last right. and, and right. live on surfaces? So we went from that to, uh, I remember uh, talking to my VP of ops and saying, you know the great thing we have going for us 
is that we weren't projected to make money for three years. <laughs> so, so as a startup, we're going to do that. We're going to work through that. Okay. Where if you look at our competition, guess what? They have lots of overhead. They yeah. have they have to pivot real quick. Things have to you know things shut down on them. And so I felt like it was uh, somewhat of a blessing. Yeah. Because it allowed us to retool some things too, and and really hone our pitch and really understand what our clients are going to want. And so when you fast forward two and a half years today, we're still on track to be profitable at some point in time. Right. But our messaging has had to change. And where it's changed is really in um, recognizing that our industry, the companies that we work with are very conditioned. They're, they're very slow to change. Yeah. And we're coming in and saying, well, we have this new thing that's going to provide you this level of revenue and it's going to do this for you. And then what I found is that we have to prove it time and time again, a lot more proof. And I get it. And then there's this other aspect of, you know, where are residents today? You know, you know, prior to uh, department industries just keeps growing and growing, though. It does. Everybody's moving out of their buildings and. People don't want their, they either want the mobility or they don't want the responsibility. Correct. And they're, they sheltered in place. Yeah. How about that. Yeah. They sheltered in place. And now you have so much of uh, individuals working remote, working mm. from home. And so when you start looking at those four walls of, an, uh, of a residence or an apartment or even your own home, people start going, boy, this is really tight. I better make sure that this is the best place for me to be. Mm. This needs to be an environment that I'm happy with. Yeah. I need to be inspired by it. And so for us, that's where that messaging changed because now it's, well, hey, a large portion of the workforce is staying, you know, they're sheltering in place, they're staying at home working remote. Uh, have you considered that this space is also very important? Not just the kitchen, the the, the floors and, and so forth. The entertainment and, places outside, the common correct. pool area and all that. Correct. But if I can't go out and hang with my neighbors because I'm worried about it, I stay inside. I want the inside to be as nice as it can. Exactly be. right. And your uh, optimization of space and so forth because guess what? Again, those walls are getting smaller. Mm. You know, humans are a collector. We collect, right? We have way too much stuff. <laughs> we really do. And and even when you say you're a minimalist, really, what does that mean? Right. And, and it's all relative. It is. So that's some of the different things that have come about. But as a company, we have continued to grow into multiple markets, uh, hiring additional staff, both in logistics and warehousing. And You had a lot of growth in the last year. Yeah, yeah, we have. We have. And so we're now in uh, 18 markets, supporting wow. 18 markets. In just two years. In two years. And it's it's a real compliment, I think, to our team. Yeah. And really. You got a great team. Oh, we do. And, you know, and so they're just such a blessing. And really working with our clients and hearing what they're saying and saying, hey, you're doing a really great job over here for us. Can, can you come over to Phoenix? Mm. Oh, can you go to Vegas now? Can you? And so we have to make sure it makes business sense. But where it does, we're following our clients based on demand. Okay. So that's great. And you'll ramp up and continue to grow and go nationwide and Correct. cover everything eventually. But if you stretch yourself too thin, you'll run out of cash. And that's what a lot of startups do. Correct. They run out of cash. And so cash is king, right? Yeah. And so for us, it's it's a balancing act. And I would say that the biggest things we're learning is, you know, mm -hmm. if you think about what we're really doing, we're building an infrastructure. We're like Uber. We're an on-demand system. And so what makes us very unique is we're not just talking about project work. We're coming in on each individual unit as our clients order them up and installing them within about a three to five day period. Wow. So you have to be very quick on the turns. You have to have lots of material, lots of labor, be very organized. And and if you really think about it, it's, it's very much like Amazon. You know, what do you do? You build, you, you build your warehouses, you build your infrastructure in place, mm -hmm. and then you can dominate because it's very difficult for another competitor to uproot that because they've set the standard. And so we're setting the standard as it relates to closets within the multifamily space. I don't know that we did a, a good job explaining the product. We ran into it like everybody knows what closets is, but duh, a closet, I get that. But if you can imagine when you go into most apartments, it's this little wire shelving system that That's looks right. really ridiculous. It doesn't hold much. Uh, and and it, it looks just trashy and stuff can fall through the cracks and all that. Your stuff is solid wood. It's white coated it's beautiful it's really strong i saw curtis hang on one of the things he installed the other day and i thought oh that's psycho but that's how he knew oh. that it was legit enough to hold up right correct so for us ours is a furniture grade product and one of the things that makes us unique is that we've cut out all the middle people so we are the manufacturer that i should take it back the designer the manufacturer installer so we're vertically integrated so you're cutting out a lot of layers there of cost 
Yeah. And it translates down to the ultimately to the client because let's be let's be honest about it. Our clients are looking to see what kind of ROI they can get. Right. You know, what you, if I put a dollar in, how much can I get back out? And so for us, it's meant to be functional, but very aesthetically pleasing to the eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, can last ten years because guess what? Renters are, are you know residents are really rough and stuff. So I, I got a chance to introduce you to Curtis, who had been in one of my groups and then met him back yes. in 2015. Curtis Gare had his own company. And then as he transitioned out of that, I introduced him to you, and you guys ended up working together. He was your first hire, wasn't he? He was our first hire, uh, still with us. Uh, he's our VP of operations. He's an amazing person. I could not ask for a better uh, person to run the operations that I implicitly trust. He has amazing judgment and you know, you, you warned me, though, that he's going, that he's going <laughs> he'll challenge you. He'll challenge you, and he has. But from a leadership point of view, I think that's really important because sometimes, we, I'll use your word, sometimes we have our own head trash. Yeah. We have our own obstacles. We're seeing things. Like, I dig in deep. One of the things I've really found out is I dig in deep, and I lock in on certain things. Mm-hmm. And when I do, it's really hard to sway my opinion. Right. And, and you know, it's partially because... Uh, you know, I feel very confident knowing what I know. Well, you've thought it through and you've dug in deep and you know it. Right. And because I get very granular, as you know. And yeah. so for myself, I'm going, oh, I have the answers here. That can be arrogance. That I can be blindsided. And so he really challenges that in a very good way and been very blessed. You know, when you look at the one hire and you look at the 12th, 15th, 20th hire, whatever that number is, I can look and say, we have an amazing corporate culture. You do. And it's partially, a big portion of it is because of Curtis. Yeah, I agree with that. But you're also humble enough to listen to him. Absolutely. Uh, you're very smart, and I like that you know your stuff. Yeah. But uh, there's one thing to have head knowledge. There's another one to be aware of the world around you and to perceive. Mm-hmm. And sometimes our emotions kind of cloud that. So I think it's cool that you're open to Curtis, but I think it's also cool he feels empowered enough to speak his mind. Yes. Uh, we hire great people, and then we tell him to back off. And, and that's, that's what I'm so trying wrong. not to do that. Uh, we're very big on transparency. We had a very uh, tough conversation today with sales because as we grow, there's exposure of, well, whose territory is what and, and where's where are things going. And, you know, salespeople, by most standards, are very competitive. Mm-hmm. And I found them to be very territorial. They started wanting sure. to put their arms around what I they can do. They worked hard. Exactly right. And so when you start saying, hey, we're going to have some additional staff yeah. in sales come in, yeah. there's this immediate, like, that's great. Just don't cut into my stuff. My <laughs> exactly. Where are the boundaries? Yeah. And so when you have to have these conversations, and, and they're looking at it from one view, and you're looking at it from a leadership or management that's point right. of view, I mean, one of them literally said, I don't like this. Right. You know, in a lot of companies, they may not appreciate that. I don't like this. I'm very frustrated with this. And But at least he said something to um, you. Very much so. And and so, you know, the way we turned that around was, how would you do this then? And his response is, that's, that's I don't know. I, said, my <laughs> I just don't like I don't it. Understand. I don't like it. Yeah. But it's a place of safety. And that's right. what we talked about. Right. Because if you can't be transparent and honest about that, how do you really expect your people to really buy in and, and know that they're listened to and cared for and we as a company grow from that? I think the number one role of a CEO that I've seen as value is that they have to create a clear and compelling vision for the team to get excited about. And when you tell your sales guys, here's where we're going. And if we don't nurture the market and we can't respond to their needs, we'll lose their business. So I need to bring on more salespeople. Eventually, the the dip that might cut into the potential that comes from this moment of this other person adding is going to be replaced by so much more brand and so much more awareness. It's going to multiply itself. But there there will be a threat to the fact that everything we get comes to you. But at the end of the day, I I see the vision and I want to be a part of the vision. That's your job to create that so their sales team goes, okay, I'm in. And I I agree with you. And I think one of the other things, too, that comes out of it is, like in in this case, we came in and said, hold on, we're negotiating on future revenue that does not exist today. Is that really where we want to be? Is talking about things that really don't even exist right now. Mm. Let's talk about what is reality and what is what is being done right now in your markets and the things you can control and that's going to impact you. If we're talking about something today that impacts you two or three years from now, is that really important? you got to have a future vision, though, because it'll, you do. it'll get Absolutely. going really quick and you'll fall behind. Absolutely. And so quickly we kind of sketched that out so they understood that. Because I think, again, you may have the vision, but sometimes you do have to get to a little bit of a, a granular state with them to go, okay, you know, we're going to have salespeople. Well, how many? 
What's going on? Why why would you do this? Aren't we doing a good enough job for you? Well, it comes back to the vision then. Exactly right. Let them know where you're going. Exactly right. And you have great people. Do you guys still do your stand-up meeting every morning? Absolutely. I love that you do that. Absolutely. How long is your meeting? Uh, Our meetings usually last 10 to 15 minutes. 10 to 15 minutes. So I see you guys all standing in a circle. You're not messing around. It's very focused. It is. I can't tell you how many times I've encouraged a leader to have a standing meeting every day, and they're like, oh, we can never do that. And the answer is not, you can't. It's you don't want to. You don't see how to do it. But it can be done. You're proving it out. Absolutely. Are there times when you go, listen, we're just not going to have this meeting? So uh, we typically have them on uh, Tuesday through Fridays. Monday, Monday, you're you're playing catch up. And so Monday, there's not a lot to report. You're you're dealing with whatever that day is starting out with. But once you roll into Tuesday, but I've had them in multiple companies before even knowing about uh, traction or Renaissance executive forums. And... My purpose behind it was to very quickly, almost like red light, green light. That I love that. That you're able to go around very quickly and get it. And and a lot of, I think, execs go, well, there's just no way to do this on a larger scale. Absolutely. We we had it to where it was structured within each uh, market when I was in insurance. Okay. When we had 42 offices. Each office did their stand-up about the same time uh-huh. every morning. And quickly things could flow up. And it flowed up in a manner that... It would flow up as it needed to. So if it was something really high level, it'd go to the regional vice president very mm-hmm. quickly. But you could also disseminate information down really fast as it related to something going on with an individual, something going on with a department. And one of the things that makes it also very unique is, again, safe place. It's a scale from 1 to 10. I've had folks over the years come back and say, you know, maybe there's some different ways of doing this. But 10 being I'm optimal, I am, I am here, I am present. But... And then one, I, I you know I can't even get myself out of bed. Mm-hmm. You know I'm, I'm struggling almost. Don't you want to know that though? I mean, if some guy's a three, do you want him to sit there the whole day at his desk and be not productive and maybe ruin some relationships with other employees or with customers just to find out that he's having a really bad time when all it might need is maybe let's just come over and give him a hug? Right. So from my perspective, what I tell people is. We spend more waking hours with the folks that we work with than yeah. our own loved ones. Yeah. And so we better get along. We better figure out how to make this work. And so from my point of view, it's always been one of, you know, just because you walk in the door, the rest of the world still exists out there. You may right. have you may have a sick mom, a sick relative in general. Right. You may be dealing with just coming out of a car accident, you know, you know, getting to work. I mean, I've, I've had employees do that to finding out some of the worst information in their lives. And they're coming to work, and are they really that productive? No. No. And, and you as a leader need to build a point that out and say, look, maybe you need a moment. I have literally told people, go take a walk around the building. Yeah, you need go to, home and fix your problems and come back yeah, tomorrow because you're not going to be productive. leading with compassion. Yeah. And that's saying I put the employee first because ultimately if that employee is not in a good place, what kind of, like you said, what kind of coworker are they? What kind of representation they have our, of our values? You piss off your number mission. one customer and lose Absolutely. them in one bad day. Absolutely. That's why every time we have our group meetings, we all put on the board, what's your score today? Right. And it seems almost trivial, but on a regular basis, someone walks in and gives himself a six. Okay, what's going on? That's and right. And they tell us, and right up before we start the meeting, let's fix this right now. And a lot of times they just go, I'm just in a bad mood. I don't really want to talk about it. but just, And so everyone gets up and goes and gives them a hug and says, oh, we're so glad you're here. Right. And just that acknowledging that they're a human being, they have feelings, moves them from a six to a seven. And as the day goes on, we fix some stuff. They they leave as an eight or nine. They still have problems. Right. We're not we're not ignorant to that, but we we get to care for them. But what is the impact of that as well? I look at it from a, a domino effect almost. We as leaders, we have our own stuff, and and actually, yeah, I have personally went through a lot of life experiences recently, and my staff has come into the, the no equation, worries. and they they're so loving and and caring yeah. and saying. This is what you need to be doing with yourself. We're worried about you. We want yeah. to see you do well. We want you to be that leader. And but they also and know. they challenge you to stop working so much because there was they a lot do. of times you were living here. You were days and nights. And that's right. And I remember Curtis saying, "Hey, you need to not go. You need to go home. That's you need right. to not work tonight." That's I right. mean, thankfully that they have the freedom to say that, but also that you know they care enough to say that. Absolutely. And I think that again, that does start at the top and, and work its way down. And so when you're making an impact on your your staff. What is that impact of that staff member to their family, to their friends, to their church, yes. the community? Yeah. And so that's where we have to pour into people's cups. And that's one of the big things that I will say is, look, we, we lead with compassion. If we don't start there, I don't know how we would ever be the, the company that we 
you're building it right from the beginning. And yep. we talked about this for months about what are your core values? How are you guys going to build the organization? Why scale and grow it dysfunctional? You have the chance to make it really great from the beginning. Right. And that does take effort. It does take more time. And you're just trying to keep cash flow and keep orders up That's and right. keep everybody happy. But if you don't build a culture right from the beginning, then you got to go back and fix it. At the end of the day, I think there's a, a misconception by a lot of owners or entrepreneurs, that's what I'll say, where they go, you know what, here are my values. Here are my values, and, and I want you to embrace those and run with those. I, I have a different view set, which is we organically grow the values and vision because ultimately they're the ones going to be living it out. Not just the leader, but no, they all everybody. They have to own that. And the only way they're going to own that, in my opinion, Robert, is by helping cultivate those and going, okay, this is what's really important Living to about. us. Exactly right. So one of the very first ones we had was transparency. Mm. Before trust even, transparency was the very first one because a lot of people came in and coming into this company said, I did not feel transparent with leadership or management or ownership within other companies I've worked for. Okay. What is and so the question becomes, what does transparency mean to you? You know, how I mean, are you looking for financials? Or right, are you looking right. at There's what I'm making? What do you are. what do you really want to know? And you found that I, I found that it's not it's not what I think I thought it would be, which is, you know, they just want to know what the heck's going on. Yeah, just just keep us in the loop. Yeah, you know, when you're making a big decision, when you're making a big decision, can you can you just keep us in the loop? I've heard it many years ago. I don't know where it was coined, but I'm a what they call a four corners CEO. Oh, Manny used to talk about walking that four corners. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I do that, which is basically walking uh, the premise of the building, saying hi to everyone in the mornings, making sure that everything's good, asking them what their day was like, what they have on their plate. And it's to get into where they, they feel that they that, that I'm approachable, for one. Yeah. But it's also to really get a sign of what's going on, what's the pulse just yeah. of the day. And, and, and that and how changes people, all the time. It does. So you got to make that walk every day. It does. So that's just how I operate to put my mind at ease, too. Now's a good time for me to remind everyone that our podcast is sponsored by the CEO tip of the day on Alexa and Google smart speakers. Ask Alexa to open the CEO tip of the day and get daily insights and tips from business owners and CEOs to help you be your best. All right, besides being on this show today, what's something fun that you've done lately? Okay, so uh, a couple different things. Uh, one, I went out skeet shooting. I hadn't Oh, yeah, that was with me. Picked up a, yeah, it was with you. I forgot, that's right. And uh, with Salem and... Uh, and his buddy, uh, Stephen Claiborne, yeah. who works for him. So that was a really great experience. I had not picked up a shotgun in a number of years. You were doing great. Yeah, you really the, were. The whole point you just said was you, basically you started great, Jim. Didn't finish so great. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, uh, it, some of the some of the shots are harder to hit than they others are. because they go away from you or they cross at weird things. But I, the first one that you hit like almost all out of six. That's like five right. Out of six yeah. or right off the bat. Yeah. That's like when I golf. You know, the tee shot's always your first and last best yeah. tee shot. You're like, oh, this is going to be a great game. And, and then you get in the middle. <laughs> it's the middle area. In the I'm sand like, trap and you're oh putting for. So, yeah. So that's been one. Uh, I I went up and saw my mother. She just had her 65th birthday. We surprised oh, her that's up nice. in Arkansas. So she was, uh, all the sons, there's three of us, got together, surprised her uh, for her birthday. Nice. And I made a deliberate uh, change of agenda Usually it's about a four and a half hour drive for me. Uh, and I chose to go the back roads of Oklahoma, which took me eight hours. That is a deliberate change. And and it was just driving. Was it beautiful? Oh, it was gorgeous. I just had a great time. How calming. That's nice. Exactly right. And I deliberately said, you know what? I'm just going to calm down and not go with the flow of everyone else. And I'm just going to take my time. And I was behind as an example. I was laughing. Normally, Jim would be the guy that I, I personally would be the guy flying past somebody let's get there let's get there uh i stayed behind a logging truck for 26 miles so there was no way to pass but it was just such a great were you listening time. To like a book on tape or were we just soaking in i was listening to a couple podcasts and i would stop i'd listen, listen to, to this music. one uh, over yes, and over of course uh, yes all the other podcasts i did yes good, of course man. Uh, it, uh, i think it was uh best best of times with robert hunt <laughs> <laughs> I think you were painting. Even yeah. <laughs> you may have had like someone a Bob Ross podcast. Yeah. So, but well, that's a great choice. That's smart. Yeah, and so it was just a very relaxing uh, day uh, of driving, and Good I got you. to go through little areas I've never seen, little towns, and you you see a little different way of life versus the metroplex. And I've I've lived outside the the metroplex in small towns, and you're just like, 
wow, what a little gym. So I pulled into a little uh, uh, cafe, got to eat there and have some homemade pie. And you're just like, this is great. Well, good for you. So it's fun. Th- those are the kind of things that we don't we pass over because we're we're being in a hurry for no reason. Right. Just because uh, there's no reason. Why am I hurrying home? Why am I hurrying to this place? I don't have to be anywhere. But we're just always in a hurry. I'm reading this book called Margin by Richard Swenson. And he really talks about how we've already we overload everything. Oh, our right. health, our calendar, you should our relationships. My, yeah, exactly. You should my calendar. Oh, it's nuts. I, I delivery turned it off. Actually, I had cell service only about 20% of the time. I loved it. Oh, it's that back in the woods. Yes. Wow. Banjo it, music playing as you drive by. Yeah, but it was great because even if I wanted to talk to somebody, yeah, no, it wasn't no. doing it. That's it awesome. wasn't working. So Good for I, you. I did that, and uh, that's a recent thing I've done for myself selfishly. You know, but I, I needed that time. But it recharge. refills your bucket. You know, Correct. I always think about you guys have to walk around pouring into all your team members. Who pours into you? Of course, we meet as a group once a month. That's yeah. nice, but it's not the same thing. Every day, you need something that pours back into you, like the CEO tip of the day. Right. But, but even more relationships and rest and fun and just you know time to be quiet. That's exactly right, and that's one of the big ones I'm I'm working with my kids on is taking a moment of of quiet. Yeah. And not really thinking through things. And then what's what's amazing is, is that in those moments you have clarity around other things. Like, oh, I was thinking about this problem I had and just dawns on me now. Because why? My mind is not distracted trying to multitask yeah. with yeah. 20 different items. David Allen said that in our Getting Things Done retreat where he said, well, how much time does it take to have a great idea? Zero. But we're so busy with a thousand things coming at us, oh, I yeah. can't get clarity in my brain to think about that great idea because I'm constantly having the things in the back of my mind. That time where you slow down and, and disconnect and, and get clarity, that's when you make great decisions. Absolutely. And so I walked out of there with some things out of that uh, drive even. Nice. Good for you. Well, we often share in our meetings about the big mistakes we make during uh, our leadership experiences because we want other people to learn from our mistakes. Uh, you know, it's it's a bummer to have to go through it, but if you can spare someone else, I'd rather learn on your mistakes than on my own mistakes. Right. So when we think about the biggest mistake you've ever made, if you're willing to share one of them, uh, just so other people can learn from your mistake, what would your biggest mistake you've ever made? Well, so I've, I've mentioned this one before, but I'll mention it again because I think it's it's one that just has stayed with me all these years. And, and really the mistake, before I even get into what the issue was, was not trusting and listening to my staff. Hmm. That was the the error of my ways. That an arrogance, in my opinion, to which is why you didn't listen to him. That's correct. And it started out with uh, a project manager coming to me and saying, "Hey, we have a client that that we're hearing little rumblings. They're having some financial issues. You know, how are they doing on their their payables to us? And uh, they they were a little delinquent. Nothing bad. You know, forty days. You know, stuff like that. You know." Um, CFO comes to me one day and says, look, they're, they're getting kind of far back. You know, they're 90, 120 oh, days. Now we're really getting serious. We're starting to get a little concerned. We probably need to pull back on the project a little bit or talk to them. And so we talked to them and felt confident that what they were telling us was true. But again, I remember my CFO telling me at the time saying, we just need to watch them because, again, I'm seeing some things financially here that say they're not in a great position. Mm. They're getting further and further out on things. I'm I'm checking around some other vendors that they work with. That's always with. a good thing to do. Yeah, and they're saying they're getting late pays and wow. so forth. Okay. And I just kept extending out, going, "Well, they're a publicly traded company. They've got money." Oh yeah, those never go back. They, they, yeah. Uh, and one day, you know, I get the call from uh, the CFO of our company, and he's saying, "Well, I've got some." Bad news. And I was like, what's the bad news? Well, they just filed bankruptcy. Mm. They just filed bankruptcy, and we were the bank. We were floating it all. Wow. And it was about a $5.5 million haircut. I'm sorry, could you repeat that number? $5.5 million haircut. So for those of you out there listening, and you think you blew it on that $20,000 mistake, $5.5 million. And to be precise, the warning signs came about at about one point two. Wow. 1.2 and my people looked at me and with just a defeatist look going we tried to wow. stop them. you know we they they were doing their job robert 
How do you know between that mindset of when they're overly worried and cautious and you being the risk taker? I mean, you wouldn't be starting your own business if you weren't a risk taker to some amount. How do you know how to discern that point? You know, the, the, there was a book I read once, which is Don't Trust Your Gut. Yes. And and I think there is a mistake that most of us make, which is as entrepreneurs, you know, the results of our past, I think it goes something like the results of our past are not a clear definition to the future or something like that. I'm trying to think what it's called. But, but basically, it's saying that just because you have all this success in the past doesn't mean it's going it, to happen it, again. it doesn't mean it's going to happen again yeah. and uh and so for myself that's where the arrogance played into going yeah they're okay they're good we're good we've got so what could you put in play to, to avoid that could you say that there's a rule that says in our company when someone hits 120 days we do this could you take some there policy were to those rules they were in place and my cfo was coming and going how much more do you want to give and i, and I saw it as a big project going well I, you know, it, it's a $9 million project. And so we can't forego what I'm thinking is going to happen. You know, I felt like they're going to push through and, you know, we we're going to potentially give up $4 million. But what did we really lose? We lost, you know, $5 million. Yeah. yeah. So that was partially that, maybe greed, you know, some other factors there. Sprinkled I think in. your arrogant statements probably, most of the leaders that I, that I know, especially ones in our group, they're super confident. Right. They're very capable. And your ability to do stuff does build into that ego. Ego's not bad. Ego left unchecked is bad. That's right. So when the CFO came to you and said, hey, this is bad, and when everyone's telling you this and you didn't do it, it's the same thing Ray Dalio said in his story where he lost everything. He was He's currently like the 13th richest man in America. Yeah. But at one point, he, would, he lost everything, and his whole team was going, no, this isn't going to go. And he arrogantly said, no, I know what I'm doing. And he ruined the company. You have to sit there and you have to own that. Yeah. And you have to say, that was me. I own that. That is, that is on me. Wow. That is not on my people. I can't go back at them angrily. I, all I can do is go back and apologize to them about not trusting their judgment. That must have been a meeting. It was. And everyone, you know, as a, a leader, I came in very humbly and said, I didn't trust you, each of you. And that's probably where it goes to as one of the best successes is you have to trust in your staff. If you've made the right hiring decisions and you, you've done everything right, you have to trust and get out of the way. Um, you had, how many companies have you built and sold? Two? Three. Three? And this is another company you started. Yes. Is it any easier starting as you, every time you've done this, is, is the startup any easier? I think my perspective helps um, in the sense that I know things, you know, now that I didn't know three companies back, four companies back, you know. Yeah. Th there's a lot that I do know. There's still a lot that I do not know. And I would say that dynamics change, but ultimately you're still in the, the business of business, which is where I enjoy being and building companies. Um, I, I would say there's always lessons that I've taken from every company that I can pour into this one, which is, you know, you're, you're hopefully... I am the sum of all those things, yeah, and what you're getting you is are. the best of me yeah. today. Uh, what I can tell you is I'm not a 20-something-year-old man these days, so it does take a toll. Hmm. You can I can feel it these days. You know, putting in 80-hour weeks is really rough yeah. on the body and just time and everything else. And so you have to play smarter and so and delegate more effectively. So I would say that for myself. It creates new dynamics and new challenges. I mean, because, you know, think about it. Uh, first company was over 20 years ago. The world has changed. Yeah, sure. You know, these devices we have called cell phones or smartphones changed the world. And, and all the technology that exists today that didn't exist 20-something years ago. And the consumer has changed in a lot of sense. And so because of all those things, you as a company have to change. And so mm. there are things that I look at and go, I'm, I'm feeling like the old guy in the room. <laughs> And there are other times where I'm going, we're, we see something that others don't, and that's a value too. It is. So I would you just- You learned some hard lessons through those years. Absolutely. When you look at your own accountability, how do you help keep yourself accountable? I think one of the very first things that you have to do is 
conquer, that's the word I would use, conquer your belief and values. You need to know what they are. Hmm. I think a lot of people do not know what their beliefs and values are or their um, where they stand on certain things. You know, we're, we're even for myself, I'm a little fluid in certain aspects once I get more information in. But I know certain things that I am very much attuned to. And those beliefs and values are the core of who we are. And so I have to know my belief and value system before I can hold myself accountable. Against some standard. Against some sort of standard. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the areas when I talk to leaders, you have ones that are just rock solid, just know exactly what they're looking for and, and know where they're coming from. And then you have others that are trying to figure it out. Mm. And so for myself, that accountability has to start with, and I, and I wrote this down actually, conquering my beliefs and values. Look at it from your company perspective. How does the company hold itself accountable to excellence? You guys have written standards. We do. But we don't do that for ourselves for our own life. We don't have a written standard for our life. We have sales expectations of what it looks like that you're supposed to hit these numbers. That's right. But we don't have expectations of how much time we spend with our kids or for you for yourself. You know, when's the last time you actually did, did something fun besides driving on a country road or shooting clay shotguns? That's an anomaly. I know how hard you work. Yeah. I had to drag you out to go do that. <laughs> but, you know, if you set a standard, it is easier to chase a number you've put in writing than some nebulous thing in your head. I will be more blank. More right. is relative. One increment more is is more. Right. But if it needed to be 60, the one is irrelevant and worthless. Right. And so to your point, that's where I think the belief and values come into play because to me it's what are you trying to, to gain out of this life? What are you chasing? What are you chasing? Both personally and professionally, right? Right. And then looking at those things and going, okay, let me write – let me write my manifest and let me tell you what that is from a business point of view. And it is so easy to do it from a business stance because a lot of times it is measurable and, and everything. But over here, you're going, well, how do I how do I view myself as an excellent father? How do I, you know? And so then you look at your belief system and things you've known and how you've been raised and all the things that you're, all those things. And They're you all look, part of that equation. That is, but you you need to write it out. You know, I'm interested you said that because I was just thinking about how can we feel like it's easier to write out standards and requirements for our business but not for our personal life? If anything, it's harder for business because all your employees can contribute to the success or failure and they have their own version of things they want to do. So, you know, it's harder to say, well, my company's going to look like this. Well, that guy may not, that guy may not like it and she may not want to participate. True. And they can actually derail you a whole lot more. But yet we we can't do it. We don't do it personally. Uh, Kathy and I have just recently gone through, like, what does it look like to be excellent in all areas of our life? And we're really evaluating that financially. Is, what size house? Do we need a house? Are we going to rent? I mean, all these decisions you make, why wouldn't you put that stuff in writing? It's it it's just as powerful. It is, but I don't think we I don't think we think about it. You know, for one, it's well, I'm living it, right? You know, but you're living it aimlessly. That's right. Since you have it, like you said, you declare your values and your standards, and you're going to chase that for the business. Well, if you don't declare that, what does the vision of my life look like? At the end of my life, when I'm laying on my deathbed, I'm not going to say, "Can I see my checkbook again?" Right. I'd like to look one more time at how much money I'm leaving my kids. Right. I want to say, "Hey, I want to have my wife and my children here next to me," or I want to think back to the people I've met and invested yeah. in. That that vision of your life drives your behavior. So why not take time now to write out what your life should look like, your relationship with your kids, your personal life, all that stuff. Well, that's why I call it a manifest because what you're doing is you're manifesting it. When you write it down, I mean, you truly you declare are it. declaring it yeah. and putting it out it's there. very different. And that's where you hold yourself, I think, more accountable. And the more you share that manifest with others, the, the more you, it becomes too. It, it is. And, you know, manifest destiny, you know, and, and, and what you desire and think about and so forth. And so mm -hmm. from my perspective... The more you do that, you know, and I'm guilty of it. I, you know, I haven't done that in that detail. But the more you put it out there, the more others can hold you accountable too. Sort of. I, I always, I always <coughs> hesitate to accept the phrase "other people are holding me accountable" because you can lie, and you say, "Robert, sure. hey, I want you to hold me accountable to spending this much time you know, doing something for myself." But and I call you up and I go, "How'd it go?" You're lying to yourself, though. I know, but we feel comfortable with that. Oh. Because we don't want people to truly hold us accountable. But if you want something bad enough that you declare it and you stake it right. and you yearn for it, 
you'll hold yourself accountable. It's that mindset with somebody who's an alcoholic who says, I'm tired of losing all my relationships. I'm going to go to this class and I'm going to get help because right. they're going to hold themselves. They could lie. No, I haven't been drinking at all. They, the people don't know. But if you declare it to yourself and you want it bad enough, it'll happen. Right. And I think that's what you say. You start with your vision of what your values are and where you want to go. I just I think that you you for yourself need to declare it for yourself personally. Yes. Just as importantly for the business. And, and I think you have to split it out. It's like and you got to be very detailed in that. You do. You you can't be somewhat nebulous. Better. Term. More. Yeah, I'm going to be excellent at whatever. You yes. know. What does that really There's mean? a way to measure everything. Absolutely. Well, that's what we do in our group meetings every month is we're, we're on a regular basis coming to a place where we're going to be vulnerable about what's going on and learn and grow and share and get better at what we do. One-on-one coaching it, is the same it, thing. That's your issue processing that you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Issue processing, I think, is critically important. I, I wish we would do that more as individuals, too, You know, where it's like, well, I've got this issue, and if you could do that. But... That and requires vulnerability, and most most people you're around, you don't want to be vulnerable. With right. Them. Well, it's they're all, not qualified. It's all what you want to take from it, right? Yeah, you, know, you got to be pretty I, humble. You know, and I've come to that group and been very bearing of yeah, a yeah. number of issues. Yeah. And that is not an easy place. But if you really want to grow, if you re- yes, I had a friend recently tell me this. He said, in order to grow, you have to go through pain. Yeah, if the like pain of where out. you are is worse than the pain of where it takes to change to get somewhere else, you'll do it. That's right. But when I'm here and the pain of this thing is worse than what the pain of where I am today, I won't change. And pain is a great motivator. It really is. That's what makes us do stuff. That's right. And so, you know, when you talk about that accountability measure, I think the very first thing you have to do is be real with yourself. Mm. You have to have an honest conversation with yourself and say, here's what I'm looking at from my track record. And I break it down if here's personally where I want to be both spiritually, with my kids, with my family, with my friends, uh, finances, and all of that. And here's where I want to be from a business point of view. And you you start there. And they all do feed off each other. Because if I've got a good marriage, and I'm spending time with my kids, and I'm oh, in good health, gonna come I'm going to show up to work. i got my game on. I'm, I'm rocking it. But if I've got all kinds of financial woes, one of the things I, I am just shocked at how many companies will not take time to teach our employees about a budget. Because when your employees are under a lot of debt and stress, it, it weighs on them every day. And they'll take a job for 10 bucks more because they got to make their minimum payment on their credit card. Yeah. We're not doing them a favor, and we're certainly not helping our own company if we're not teaching them how to manage their money wisely. It's a huge problem. It's easily resolved. I would say, I would push even further to say that it's a responsibility of the companies because it's a genera- it becomes a generational issue too. Yeah. I'm a huge believer in that being a, uh, you know, first-generation high school graduate, college graduate, that generationally, generationally you can get locked up. Yeah, you can. And if a parent can sit down with their kid and say, let me show you how to budget a checkbook. Right. What is a budget? Why are credit cards good in some cases and not in others? Right. What's the point of credit? That and really it, shows you care if you're willing to do that because it can ruin people. That's right. And you want everyone, if you truly are very genuine and wanting to help your staff, to me, my goal is I have people, you know, I ask people all the time in our company, what are your dreams? Mm. Why is that important? The reason why it's important is I want to share in their dream. If I know that Greg wants a house one day because he has six kids and and he desperately wants to own instead of rent, how can I make that possible for him? I can't him? give him much more money randomly, no. but I can help him by being a part of a company that is successful that brings him more opportunity That's right. where he earns the money. All right, so you're a very experienced CEO, and you're very successful. Um, you're running a business right now. What tip would you give for CEOs out there? Um, that is one of the benefits of, of being in our groups is that we learn from each other. What's a tip that you – maybe it's even a tip just today about where we are today. What's a tip that you would share with other CEOs? I think one – and I'm, I'm going to talk about what we are doing within closets. It's critically important that each hire matters. You know, the person that we're bringing into the organization matters. Mm. And so it is very easy to say with a labor shortage that I desperately need a person. Oh, yeah. And I'm willing to forego what I either deem to be red flags, non-negotiables, to just get a body in the chair. Mm. I've seen a number of people doing this as hiring managers or even executives where they're just feeling the weight of their company coming down on them because... 
of progress or the lack of because, you know, or they're pulled thin. Right. You know, I can even say that about myself. Uh, Curtis can. And the reality of it is, is that what is the cost of a bad hire? Yeah, yeah. And it is huge. Actually, in my personal opinion, it is the greatest issue I think that companies have in some cases because it can bring down your corporate culture. Yeah. It can make it very toxic very quickly. You can lose really great people. You can lose clients. You can lose momentum. You could lose your own way. And you really have to take a very defensive view of who you're hiring. And so for us, we go through a very rigorous, I mean, it's four interviews. Mm -hmm. It's four interviews. It's a shadowing uh, with a couple of our employees on a half day to full day basis. And the way we do it, and we ask what I deem to be tough questions. Mm -hmm. And we bring out and we have our, our team, each one of our team members has went through the same process. Curtis went through the same process. And the reality of it is what it does is it flushes out true motivations, drivers, and whether or not that person, we can identify if they have the skill set. Right, that's easy. That's the easy part. Right. It's how are they going to play with our folks and are they going to be able to add a positive aspect to the business and be able to give more um, thought knowledge around the organization to make us all better or are they going to be one that dismantles that? Yeah. I think it was Manny who said in our last meeting, I, I, can, I can train the skill I need, but I can't train the character. That's right. So if you bring someone in who, does, who lacks a character, not only will they not learn the skill because they don't care, but they'll also disrupt everything so poorly. And a lot of the groups, a lot of the group members in the last couple of months have really regretted some of the early hires they made this year. And they've had to let them go a very short period of time because they needed a warm body. I will tell you this. One of the best things that we ever did is when I sat down with Curtis, I said, now, when we get ready to hire the next person, that stress is now uh, on both of us. You own it too. Mm. And every employee that comes through our process that we've hired and they say, you know, I want to be here. I love this company. We give them homework. I mean, we, we give them homework in their second interview. Because like, we want to see that they're interested. Yeah, we want to be Put the here. effort out. And, and I will tell you that we've had so many people that have come back and even said, this is not the right company for me. Well, we've great. had that. And I'll, great. Tell, and I'll tell you what they're surprised about is the exact word. Great. We will tell them, I hope you find what you're looking for. Right. This is the reason why we go through this process. Have we been uh, let down of a couple? Sure. But if it's not right for them, it's not going to be right for us in the long run. Right. And so throwing more money at them and stuff like that, that's just, that's a Band-Aid. And it's so disruptive. You're working so hard to build this culture that's dialed in. You don't need these, these distractions. Right. When I was at uh, uh, Hexel Swable in the late 80s, early 90s, I guess it was, yeah, early 90s, and we hired an office manager, and the, the, the guy was the regional manager in that area, was interviewing. He, when he was done, he walks him out and goes, hey, you have to interview her. I'm like, I don't know how to interview anyone. I've never interviewed anybody. And he's like, she's going to come in and talk to her. So he, she comes on and sits out across the desk from me, and we're just sitting there. I'm like, so what do you do, and what was your background? I was totally awkward. And there was like this huge awkward pause of silence. I didn't have any questions. So I reached into the drawer where, of course, I have toys, and I had a regular Godzilla and a robotic Godzilla. And I said, if these two fought, who would win? Oh, <laughs> it was really my question. And she looks around. She goes, well, the original Godzilla, of course. I'm like, yeah, you're hired. Yeah. <laughs> like I had the authority. How did she do? She, she was fine. She hired, I mean, he hired her. But I didn't know what to say. I mean, she, she, it was awkward for both you know, of us. That's one of the things I would say uh, I pride myself in is interviewing mm -hmm. folks. Uh, you know, that's one of my strengths. That's probably one of my superpowers. Because my superpowers, yeah. That. Because it, what I would say is, is that so many times hiring authorities, it's such a small part of our business, mm. and so I have become a student of trying to figure out questions and things to really get to the meat of who an individual is That's as quickly cool. as we can, and the reason why, because I'm going to be working with you the right of the right. time. I want to make sure it's someone that is going to be I productive, like and I will tell you this. If, the, if there's any red flag with anybody around integrity, if any of our staff says, I, I just didn't feel they were telling the truth on something, hmm. we don't hire them. Wow. At the end of every interview, I have a scenario that I run out in my head. 
And that scenario is, is that I run up to whoever that person is in a grocery store. I have an emergency. I have something going on that I must desperately get to. And in that situation, I say, you seem like a really great person. I can trust you with the most important thing in my life, my children. Can you watch my children for five minutes for me? And if I can answer that question honestly to myself, that I feel that I could come to this person and allow them to protect those babies of mine, then I have no problem hiring them. Wow. That's it, a very unique thing. I it is. I don't think I've heard anyone hear, say that before. We're so easily swayed by people to say, well, you know, I'm going to bring them into, into the fold or in, when you're managing money and stuff of that nature for me or our livelihoods. And, you know, we're able to trust in those areas so much. I, I literally put it to that level because I have to feel comfortable that you're going to be a person of integrity, that wow. you are going to take care of this company and the people in it as if they were your babies too. Wow. Jim, that's so you. I, I'll, I'll wrap up our time by just saying you're this really intense, focused, professional, really smart, insightful guy with a gigantic heart. Thank you. And the fact that you would say that that's one of the things you go through in your mind. Dude. If someone who meets you, they'd be like, that guy's all about numbers and his processes. and He's, he's always running fast. Yeah. But that is what you do well. But you have this amazing heart. That's why Thank I you. love being your friend. Likewise. I've enjoyed the friendship all these years. And uh, the chance to be a part of supporting you and Curtis and the team means a lot to me because I really am excited about the future of Closets. Yes. And I love the way you roll. Thank you. And uh, I'm just thankful you took time to meet with me today. And I'm blessed to have you in my life and uh, Kathy and uh, it's just been it's been great to have the friendship and the you're an amazing connector of people but you yeah. have great thank you you have a great heart towards helping I mean yeah it's bigger than mine but you know I think you do an amazing job uh, with the teams and effort I mean it takes a lot to be able to work with the crazy of entrepreneurs and leaders. <laughs> Let's be real about it. They're all great, and they all have their challenges, but you guys are all great. Yeah, but you, you can honestly say it can be a challenge. You know, you're dealing with a lot, Robert. There's a lot of egos <laughs> out there. The, the, and the so, but geniuses. You, yeah, well, you deal with it great. So, But oh, I'm, I'm glad to be sharing this, and hopefully your listenership can uh, pick something up from it that's of value. It was a good interview, Jim. Well, thank you. Likewise. And if anything, people get to know that we're friends. Yeah. Yeah, that so, means a lot to me. Absolutely.